Now let's just begin in verse 30, no, 29. He just got done saying some things to the Jews, to the, all the people actually there standing around. It doesn't have to be Jews, it could be anyone there. He's the light of the world, he's the son of man, he's sent by the Father. And verse 30 says, as he was saying these things, say it with me, many had believed in him. Now pay attention, many had believed. Verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Here's a little problem we have right off the bat. He is speaking, or John is writing, of Jesus speaking to people who have believed. They have believed. And yet, look, verse 34, he says they are slaves to sin. Verse 37 says they're seeking to kill him. Verse 44, he's really not beating around the bush, says your father's the devil. This is the people who are believing. This is the Jews around that area hearing Jesus' word who John says have believed and yet are slaves to sin and their father's the devil. Now, how can those two things be? For John, pretty much any time he uses the word believe, or disciple, it's always provisional. Jesus says, if you continue in my word, you will truly. If you abide, if you make it to the end, you will be my disciples. Truly. Look at John 6. It's like literally, if you're using the Pew Bible, one page back. Look at John 6 and verse uh, 60. 60 to uh, 66. And this, and he, 65 says, and he says, this is why I told you no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. And look at this. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked. So the usage of belief and disciple in John is provisional. Discipleship now does not guarantee a secure place in the future. You must get there. And this passage will show us why, how, and what exactly brings about that kind of perseverance. But for John, I mean, he grew up in a time when everyone kind of became a Christian because someone came back from the dead. And here's a man doing miracles. Jesus even said a lot of times, do you not want to go away also? Or after he said some harsh words, many went away. The reality of that time is people with, unfortunately, fickle faith. It was at a time when Jesus was around. It was at a time when John was pastoring his church some decades later. People with fickle faith, believing for a time only, for a season, for a while while they get some kind of outward benefit, but in the long run, they step away. And if you're, I mean been in the church for any kind of season or any amount of time, you've known people like that. You've known people who sat right beside you. You know people who got up and uh, said verses from memory. In the Russian churches where I grew up, like I used to get paid a dollar per every psalm I could get up and say in front of the church, literally. So I'd say in my... Aunt would give me a dollar. Then I'm like, this could be really profitable. So I just memorized a ton of them. 
And all of a sudden, I'm like an eight-year-old with 50 bucks in my pocket. I'm like, what am I going to do with all this money? Now it's like, goes away like nothing. That's a meal out. But what with two people, guys. I don't eat that much by myself. <laughs> Though it may look like it, all right? The point is, we, I've known those people who were better at those verses than I was. They could say them prettier. They didn't have a messed up accent that kind of swallowed the words whole. They could say more clearly and with dramatic flair. They were way better than me at that. And yet, one of my best friends, just completely out of the faith, and yet knew way more than me at the time. We've all seen it. And if you haven't seen it, just stick around a little longer. You'll see it. You'll see it. Why? Because genuine, true faith in God, it almost begs to be imitated because it's so good. Genuine, true faith that God grants, that inspires on us, that regenerates us so that we could have it. That faith brings you so much good and blessing in your life that the devil just would love to compromise it and counterfeit it and make it fake so that it could infiltrate the real, true people of God. That's the nature of God's faith. It's so good that it just almost begs to be counterfeited. And we will see later, Satan is the master counterfeiter, taking what's true and glorious of God and making it fake and leading people astray by deceiving them into uh, a different reality. And that reality we will see today. John is speaking, Jesus is speaking to the Jews that believed in him. And he said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. The emphasis there on truly, since we already know disciple is provisional. You could or could not be. We don't know yet. We've got to wait till the end. Truly, the emphasis on truly, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answer rather awkwardly, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now, slave here can be used in a couple ways. Are you a, a physical slave? That means, is there ownership above you? Now, the Jews, their entire history has been one of slavery, whether it's to Egypt or in the Babylonian captivity. There's plenty of it. So here, obviously, they're not talking about physical slavery. They are talking about spiritual slavery. And they say, hey, we are the offspring of Abraham. We're the sons of Abraham. We're part of God's covenant going way back when God called Abraham from the pagan land. We're part of that. We can't be a slave to uh, some kind of spiritual darkness. You can't be a slave to sin if we're part of God's old covenant people. It's impossible. Jesus responds, truly, truly, I say to you. By the way, that phrase, truly, truly, it's only ever found in John. It's the only one that uses it double in a row like two in a row. You'll see it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke once, but never truly, truly. It's really one of John's really cool things he does when he really wants to bring something to attention and really wants to bring up a kind of ironic turn or sarcasm or just grab hold of you and say, listen, listen up. You know what's coming next? Listen up. Truly, truly. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now, the ESV chose to translate that practices sin. 
Now, like, what do you mean? What do, what do they chose? What do you mean they chose? It says they practice this. Well, here's the difference. Is there a difference between someone who sins and someone who practices sin? You, you, you could do feedback. Yeah? I, I hope. Is there someone who lied one time to get out of a bad situation or someone who's pathological? Absolutely there's a sin. And that is the difference between someone sinning and someone practicing sin. However, the Greek here literally just says, the one doing the sin. Now, the one doing the sin or the one doing sin sounds a lot like the one who sinned, not the one who practices sin, not the one who wallows in it, not the one who, like a dog, returns to his vomit and keeps going back. The issue here isn't of slavery to a specific sin. The issue here is you have sinned, therefore you're a slave. Arthur, you have sinned, therefore you're a slave. You here, sitting under my voice, you have one time sinned, therefore you are a slave to sin. Now the medievals, you're like, what do you mean? How do you become a slave to sin? What does that even, what does that even mean? I, I, I have a free will to do not sin and then do it? Well, sure, for the time being, but really our mind, our whole body is constructed with our mind, what we think is right, what we reason to be true or good, made up of our will, how we, des- like, can we overcome things? Can we put our mind to it and accomplish something? And our desires, how we feel about certain things, do we love them or not? So those are general three you know, psychological things that go on in our brain or in our whole body when we decide to do something. That is how we make decisions. Our mind thinks it's good or we desire it and then we will to do it. The problem is if we are to be slaves to sin, all of those three things are corrupted so as that they seek what I want and what you want rather than what God wants. We sang about it earlier. Like when the fall happened, it completely ruined you, not so that you become as bad as you could be, but the point is when given the choice, the free choice to act how you would want, you will always choose yourself and that which is anti-God over God. That's what Jesus is saying. That is, we did the Reformation uh, series a few months ago. That is what total depravity, the first part of that, really means. It's not that you're the worst person ever. It means given the free choice to act how you would desire, you would choose what is anti-God. Properly, you would choose what is beneficial for you and for me. That's what Jesus says when he says you're a slave to sin. Some other might object like, okay, I don't like the language of slavery. What does that mean? I, can, I still get up and wrong. I choose whether to brush my teeth or not. I choose to do, uh, have breakfast or not. I choose to eat 3,000 calories for lunch. You know, that's me. I pretend I choose those things. But if you've ever been outside the regular circles of white, middle class, 
America and been to a rehab center or to, you see, an alcoholic or a gambler, these people, I mean, they will show you the, the deepest signs of regret and the fact that they hate themselves for it and everything they do, but they can't stop going back to that drug. What sin does when it comes into our bodies and into our minds and just infiltrates everything is it just makes you incapable of choosing against it because it's what you end up loving. That's Jesus' point. Now back to the text after we made a little excursion. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham, never been a slave to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now we know slavery to sin, seeking what we desire and what our father before we're generated, the devil desires rather than seeking of God. The Jews say, hey, we are sons of Abraham. We are a privileged people. We belong to God. Therefore, this idea of sin that you're proponing, uh, saying, Jesus, doesn't apply to us. And Jesus said, actually it does. Because you sinned, it definitely applies to you. 34, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever, thereby undercutting what they're saying. So in the Old Testament, the picture of Israel, God's covenant people, and God was often, I mean, it's not exactly said in the Old Testament that it's called a household with God and his children, but if you read any of the writings of uh, Judaism at the time and the intertestamental inter time, that's how they viewed it. It is a house built by God and they are members in it, children in it. Jesus says, you're not even members of that house. You're, you're slaves. And then he calls himself the son. The son who in any kind of inheritance theory is the one who gets all the inheritance of the family. So who's getting the inheritance here in the house? The son not the so-called people who Jesus identified as slaves. And he says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Truly free. Now, we will get back to this more later, but Jesus is presenting himself as the person who grants to them that privilege which they think they have. So the Jews at that time, the Jews who had believed, believed like, okay, Jesus, we know that there's a war going on between you and the rest of the temple authorities. Okay, you've been doing miracles. You've been getting them mad. You've been working on the Sabbath. You've been healing people on the Sabbath. You shouldn't be doing that because it's the Sabbath. And Jesus is saying, no, no, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I, could, I made the Sabbath. What are you talking about? I can't do it. And that power to do everything was granted to me by my Father. So he's saying, I am the light of the world, sent by the Father to do my ministry here, and then I'm the only one who can grant to you the right to be free of your sin. You assume that privilege just because then you're sons of Abraham, I'm the only one that can grant it. Now here's this. A nice corollary to today's time is, are your parents believers? If the answer is yes, well, thank God. It's 
a lot of peace. It's a lot of blessing you've had in your life that your parents are believers and were able to teach you from the ground up what it's like to be people of God. But don't for one second think that just because your grandfather was Billy Graham or someone that you are automatically in the kingdom. Jesus is saying, it does not matter what you think happened in the past. You may think you're people of God, but I must set you free. The Son must come and set you free individually. Yes, we might belong to a corporate body where the vast majority of us may be believers, but if you're sitting here and you're sitting in there thinking, oh, I've came to church and I've kind of identified myself with the people of God, I'm good. Jesus is like, no, you're a slave to sin. And if I don't set you free, you've got no hope. That's what's going on here, and that's a perfect corollary to what happens uh, in modern times. A lot of times we'll hear about kids that were baptized as a baby. I mean, theological differences aside, there's a lot of people here who say, oh, you've been baptized before, you're okay. As if some sprinkling can really do the trick. Now, it doesn't matter where you land on the baptism issue. It really doesn't. The point is, if the Son didn't set you free, really, you got no claim to that right or privilege. Identification with Jesus, being on His side, allegiance to Him, and having His Spirit refresh and completely renew our mind, will, affections, all of us, that's what makes the difference. And that's what these Jews who had believed, seemingly don't understand. Verse 36, the Son sets you free, you will be free you did. Indeed, he continues, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me, because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Jesus says, yeah, you belong to the old covenant people of God. You are Jews. You are offspring of Abraham. Yet, you seek to kill me. Yet, you seek to kill me. So there's some serious disconnect with identifying yourself as offspring of Abraham or identifying yourselves as in Jesus and yet in actions, we betray it. I mean, when Brandon was talking Early in the liturgy are our rhythms of rest and meditation and worship. You know, to be honest, I'm thinking, man, I, I can't even go up to preach now. <laughs> if really anyone saw the, the log of this last year, it's really bad. And you're like, yeah, I have to, we know it. The problem with that is when you're saying we know it, it's a, a mirror is right in front of you. And Brandon had a wonderful job showing, if you came this morning thinking, yeah, I got this resolution thing figured out, yeah, it's time to, really time to reset. Because it, it was so wide and overwhelming that it caught everyone here in the net of, we really love ourselves more than we love God. We really love our idols more than we love God. And we do we do. Why? Because we're not yet in eternity where we're glorified perfectly and sin is free of us. We're not there yet. 
So there's always some slice of us which we would hide in a dark closet and we would never let out. That's the nature of sin. It ruins us so much that we even begin to hate ourselves and yet love ourselves at the same time. Completely contradictory. And yet, our words often do not match up with what we say we believe about God. We are offspring of Abraham. By the way, Paul uses that in Romans. Say those who are offspring of Abraham are those who identify with God by faith. So you know who's the offspring of Abraham? If Paul is right. Of course, we're granting that Paul the Apostle is right. Of course he is. He's right. Who's the offspring of Abraham? Everyone here identifying with Christ by faith, grasping him by faith, believing that he died, rose again on our behalf to cleanse our sin and redeem us. That's the offspring of Abraham. And yet this group of offspring of Abraham, maybe we might not seek to kill Jesus, but certainly we seek our own ends the majority of the time. Certainly we find ourselves things we would never show the outside world. Because it's just too brutal. It's too bad. How could anyone think so, so low of me publicly? It's enough that I think that lowly of myself. That's how bad we are. That's what slavery to sin means. They answered him, 39, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you will be doing the works Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that, you heard from, that I heard from God. Again, the disconnect between saying, God is my father and acting a certain way. Remember Abraham. He had to believe God. He came from a pagan land. He's a really a nobody. You don't hear anything about him until Genesis uh, 11 or 12, 12, where he's just like God's like, hey, Abraham, come along. Leave your mother, leave your father, leave everything you got. Go over there. I'm going to make a people out of you, and I'll bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who curse you. And Abraham, he had to believe that the voice is from God. So the problem here is this with the Jews. We have the general sin problem, that anyone who sins is safe to sin. But more specifically, the problem is here. You believe in Jesus, but you don't believe that he's the Christ. You don't believe that he's from God, because at that time, whether the Jews even had a category for another being of God, really up for debate, but we won't get into that now. But the problem is this, they have God amongst them, and they're like, no, you can't be it. Only God is God. And then Jesus is going to say that he's I am. Later on uh, in this preaching, uh, verses 48 on, he'll say he's I am, which was a, well, God called himself to Moses, making himself God himself. They can't take that. So they reject the absoluteness of Jesus for what they already thought. But Jesus is saying, I'm coming from him. If you reject me, you reject him. You're saying you're offspring of Abraham, but if you don't believe me, you can't be his offspring. It's impossible to say that you're offspring of Abraham and be against Jesus. That's his point. It is impossible. But that is the difficulty when we take Jesus as the absolute Christ, the Messiah, the one who to fulfill the Old Testament promises. That's the problem. It's hard to believe truly. It's easy to believe for a little time. 
This is not what Abraham did. Jesus says, you are doing the works your father did. They say to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. Love there is used more, not in intense emotional affection, but allegiance. If God were your father, you'd be on my side. You'd know who I was. But God's not your father. You may believe temporarily. Who is their father? Verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. Remember earlier we said, talked about being slave to sin. And we end up doing what we desire the most. Um, Jesus says here, you're desiring to do your father's desires. There's no disconnect there. When sin comes in, it completely just turns around um, and overturns what is it that we as people ought to do. If we ought to serve God, that's flipped on its head. You ought to serve yourself. And that is God's desire. God, Satan doesn't want, I mean, uh, Satan's desire. Satan doesn't want you to worship Satan. Satan wants you to worship yourself. And so if he can turn you away from worshiping God to worshiping you, that's Satan's desire. And that, as a result of sin, becomes your desire. That's the problem Jesus is getting at here. That's a lot, whole lot of slavery. Of course you end up doing what you want. We love that. Who doesn't want to do what they want all the time? And the fact that I'm telling you it's wrong and Jesus saying it's wrong, you just so, how can it be? to an unregenerate heart, to a people who don't know any better spiritually. That's just completely farcical. They can't even bear it. That's why it says, my words, I mean, have no success among you. You can't bear to hear it because the very things I'm saying undercut everything you've ever thought. Jesus says, you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character like we do. When we lie, our own character. We sin, our own character. No one's at fault at this except you. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. What Jesus does here in these last few words is identifying them with their father being the devil the deceiver, the one who counterfeits everything, and then says, but I'm the truth. And so that choice is right in front of them. That choice is right in front of everyone who reads John from the time being. And by the way, do we remember what the whole point of John is? 2031, the name of our series is, is it up there? Yeah. Believe. I wrote all these things so that you might believe. Who? Who's the you? The people holding the book. All this is happening, this confrontation with Jesus and the Jews and him pushing some away and him drawing others closer and doing the miracles is so that those reading might believe. So that when you look at this confrontation and you see them, your mind is starting to think, which, where am I at? Am I those who believe, but my father's really the devil? Or am I the ones who've been set free? 
I mean, if you've got the assurance in your heart and God has so granted to you that you're a child of God, son of God, free from sin, amen, glory, hallelujah, God has done a, a wonderful thing in your life. Key word there. God has done a wonderful thing in your life. The Son has set you free. Remember, for slaves to sin, we can't seek anything other than what we want and other than what we think is right. For us to think right, for us to want to do right, Son has to come and do something. Without that, nothing's going to change. Because how could it? How could I convince you you're wrong if all I ever think is I'm right? And if you don't ever think you're right, just have a normal interaction about an NFL game. Right there. Jesus presents himself as the one telling the truth while Satan is the one who lies. Remember love, we said, was allegiance here. Jesus saying either you're on my side of this whole thing or you're on the other side and your father's the devil. <laughs> it's a poisoning the well argument. If you're there, yeah, our father's the devil. If you want to make it lighthearted. The point is this. Jesus, in John's presentation of him, is presenting himself as telling the truth about himself and him being the son that can set free. But if that's true, the rest is also true. That those not on his side have the devil as their father, slaves to sin, seek to kill him, and don't do the will of their father. Pretty four harsh things. The best part is, says, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? You already should know by now from our theology lesson earlier. Why don't they believe him? Because they can't. They can't. They love themselves. They love their own privilege. They love what they think they have. And it's an idol. 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. If we look back towards the beginning of our time here, they said they were children of Abraham, a privileged class of people. And what Jesus did is just come, kind of pull the rug out from their idea of assurance. How do you know you're one of God's people? First he gives us, you're going to be free from your sin. Second, he gives us, you do the will of your Father. But the best part is, of all this, 47, is that he says this, whoever is of God hears the words of God. To hear God's words for what they are is glorious, true, and right for you, something needs to happen first. It's outlined there. Son must set you free and he has to be of God. There has to be a change in parentage. I don't even know if that's a word. There has to be a change in who your father is. And that change is a one-way unilateral act of God. So if you're here this morning, the reason you have come to know Jesus is the Christ and that he is what he says he is, is because you are of God. How are you of God? Is because the Son has set you free. That is an amazing assurance. Why? 
Because it kind of pulls out the rug from anything you did you think to earn it. Now, I'm not saying works aren't important. They are. Jesus doesn't attack the Jews for not believing right. He attacks them for not doing right. So yeah, we absolutely have to do right. But that must start with being set free. Because if we're not set free, again, it's completely spun the other way. You were either worshiping God or we're worshiping ourselves. Slavery to sin. To get out of that paradigm, to completely get out of that worldview, it must be flipped. Something must happen from outside. That's the sun setting you free. If you're here today and you're hearing God's words as true, beautiful, acceptable, right, I mean world-changing, it is because God has worked in your life. So there's an amazing assurance for those who are truly in Christ. However, there's still a warning to those who had believed provisionally. Now, I can't sit here and judge. I don't know who's in and out of the kingdom. God does. I don't know if your father's the devil, though I might like to say that about you. You might like to say it about me. I can't say that. God does. You can't run from him. Hebrews says he knows all the thoughts and inclinations of your heart and mind. He knows how you spent this last year. He knows how I spent it. And the D minus might just flatter me. I'll tell you that much. But the thing is this. If the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. The ground of our assurance is not that we look back and say, my dad was, my mom was, or that I'm in church. It's not. It is Christ coming down, crashing onto our lives and saying, you are free, follow me. As hard as it will be, it'll probably cost you your life. Most likely it's going to cost you to say no to everything good in this world. It will cost you that, but come, you'll be free from sin. And so that's the truth. Today, if you're free from your sin, you ought to know it because Christ has so acted in your life. If, he's, if the Spirit so works in your life that you don't know, well, here's your choice. Either you're on Christ's side in allegiance with Him or your father's the devil. Sorry, I didn't mean to make that funny at the end. But that's the choice. There's no middle ground. It's two, two ways. The broad way and the narrow way. And so our assurance is not on how we act because that's never going to be right. Our assurance is not how our parents acted or what they believed. It's not it at all. Our assurance is, did Christ so work in your life and apply the benefits of His cross to you that you have felt that resurrecting power? No one can answer that for you. Not your wife, not your closest uh, kid, not your closest family member. No one. That is either between you and Jesus. You know whose side you're on. I know whose side I'm on. But it's not because of what I do. Believe me, our, us seminarians, we love our privilege. Oh, who doesn't want to read systematic theology all day long and pretend they know more about the Bible than regular lay people? Oh, man. By the way, we also know more about, uh, I sound like Trump now, I know more than anyone, terrible, I know. We also know more about discouragement and spiritual warfare that happens in seminary, which my brother's here, I'm in year three, I'm way deep into it. Our young guys are maybe, Rob's not yet tarnished, he's a good man. <laughs> Me, I'm done. 
So, in times of discouragement and not knowing who's your master, not knowing where to grab onto, am I to look at my works and say, yeah, Arthur, he read the Bible two times yesterday. No. Am I to look at myself and be like, you were really kind to him. Good job. Pat on the head. Good job, Arthur. No. You can't look to that because that is false. That is temporary. That's provisional. But what actually makes a difference in any one of our lives and actually makes a difference before God is that the Son has set us free. And if you want to start the new year a better way, believe that. Read John again. Make him set your heart aflame over who Jesus is, what he's done, and what that means for you and all your relationship, whatever goes on. Life is tough. No one says that. And a lot of times, believing in Jesus might not fix the minute details of your life that you have so messed up. He won't fix that right away. What he does is give you resurrection hope and free from slavery. You can't pay the mortgage yet. He'll pay the mortgage in eternity. He's not going to pay it now. That's not what he's offering. And if you came to him for that, those are the people that leave. Come to him for a benefit that he doesn't want to give. He gives the benefit of freedom from slavery to sin and resurrection life for those identifying and walking with him. And if those words have given you an assurance today, praise be to God. That's the point of this little pericope. Being on Jesus' side means Jesus has taken you and made you on his side. Because if you were so wise to walk the bridge, you'd be so dumb to walk it right back. That's what sin does. So we have our assurance in Christ's person and his work and his promise. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed.